Hey, how-to listeners. This week, we're bringing you a very special episode because of the time of year it is, which is the time of year where school is beginning, which means that for some of us, it is the time of year where our children are leaving home. And if you have young children, it's probably hard for you to imagine that this will ever happen. But uh, as they say, the days are long, but the years are short. And this especially hits home for me because my daughter is leaving home tomorrow. Her older brother, my son, two years older, is already in New York living there, and she's going to go. And then after that, we will have an empty nest. It's very hard for me (laughs) to articulate the feelings around it. But the good news is I don't have to because this episode forthcoming, we'll talk all about it. And we're really excited to share it with you. So thanks for listening. And for those parents that are facing this or are about to face this, I just want to let you know you can do it and we've got you. So I guess what you're saying is me turning to my then 14-year-old daughter and saying to her, okay, you need to get pregnant at 16 and stay home forever. That would be like, (laughs) that was bad advice. (laughs) I was joking, but what are we going to do with our time and energy? You know, how many dogs can you have? (laughs) Welcome to How To. I'm Amanda Ripley. So it's been about a month since the school year began, and it's been an especially exciting time for college freshmen. They're making new friends, going to football games, starting to figure out who they are and who they're gonna be in life. But for the parents left behind, it also means it's been about a month since their homes suddenly got a lot quieter. There's one less plate at the dinner table, one less player at family game night, one less person to wait up for. I anticipated that it would suck and it sucked. (laughs) (laughs) This is Kelly Corrigan. She's a best-selling author and host of the podcast, Kelly Corrigan Wonders. And she recently wrote the New York Times piece, How to Let Go of Your Irreplaceable, Unstoppable Daughter, about dropping off her youngest child, Claire, at college. The Claire drop was brutal. When I when we left, (laughs) yeah, sorry. Close your ears for a second. I'm sorry, it was. When we left and we closed the door, I cried so hard. And Edward said, I've never heard you cry that hard. Like, not even when your dad died. (laughs) Oh, dear. That's the voice of Susan, our listener this week, who, like Kelly, is grappling with the inevitable reality of losing two daughters to college. Like, I don't want her on my sofa. I I want her moving on into her adult life. I got it. I'm just telling you that I... I cry when I go to sleep at night. Like, yeah. I am not. I like her a lot. I like her company. Like, I like being around them. Yeah. And I, I don't like that that's reduced to, like, a couple weeks a year. Yeah. That's all. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So you felt both at once. You could. That's the paradox. That's the human, the whole catastrophe, right? Uh-huh. That's the whole catastrophe yeah. right there. And I, and I hope that she has a big, exciting life and that doesn't involve that much of me. And I... I'm tuned into that. And so, yeah. yeah, like it was the end of something and it was the end of something really consequential for me personally, right? Because you've never done anything as complex and engaging and moving as being someone's parent. That's why all therapy starts with, tell me about your mother. Yeah. <laughs> 
So on today's show, is there a way to let your kid go on to bigger and better things without it breaking your heart? Susan never really got over saying goodbye to her eldest daughter, which happened four years ago. And now her youngest is applying to colleges and she's already dreading drop-off next fall. But Kelly has been there and she has some hard-earned wisdom for Susan and for all of us about how to handle major life transitions gracefully, or at least not destructively. Don't go anywhere. Our listener Susan is a writer and a spoken word artist. And then one day, in a flash of lightning, you released me, closing the door on your dorm room, waving goodbye from the window. And I found myself lost. That was a snippet of a poem Susan wrote after her eldest daughter Sophie moved out. I was just so pathetically floored by her leaving. I mean, at the same time, I was so happy for her. It was about four years ago when Sophie left for school, two hours away from where the family lives in British Columbia. Oh, I'll never forget it. Excitement the month before and that, and we're getting her sheets and everything. And, and you know, kind of thinking, oh, it's going to be sad. But, you know, she's left on trips before. And, and we were all kind of thinking we were ready. And I remember her going to her dorm room and we're sitting there and I didn't. I just got this feeling like we got to get out of here. We just got to get out of here. I got to leave now. And and so I got very irritated. And then I got in the car and I got so nauseous. And it was just such a physical reaction. And then when we got home, we went to the pool to try and you know cheer ourselves up or whatever. And I just sat on the on the deck with my laptop, googling how to deal with your child going to university <laughs> frantically because I was completely unprepared. It sounds like it really, it was like a gut punch. Mm-hmm. How long did that last? Um, a year and a half mm-hmm. of, of just that, that sense of loss. In this case, Sophie was pretty good at keeping in touch, which made the separation slightly more bearable. She'd call every week or every couple times a week at first. And so I joke with my second one, you know, I said, yeah, when you leave home, I'll be lucky if I get a wedding invitation from you. Like she's just, (laughs) she's a different kid. And she's like, yeah, that's pretty much it. So, you know, we both know that like they're so different, which is lovely. And I celebrate it. But at the same time, it's like, yeah, you're not going to be calling us every week, are you? Nope. (laughs) Now that her younger daughter, Ellie, is a senior in high school and scoping out colleges, Susan's bracing herself for impact and wondering if there's a better way. How do we avoid (laughs) being so sad and so pathetic? And obviously, I'm prepared to be sad, but how to not be taken out of the knees so much by her leaving? I mean, I don't think you're a loser, and I don't think it's pathetic. I think that you loving and enjoying your time under one roof with your family is awesome. And I think that it's the dream. And I think if you have to pay for that on the back end with a thousand tears, so be it. I mean, I feel sort of defensive on your behalf because I relate, I'm relating to your story so strongly and I don't want to think of myself as a loser or pathetic or a burden, these words that you used. I, I think that You know, for many people, those years of being a family are some of the most consequential of our lives. Like there's the most emotion 
good, bad, and in between. I mean, mm-hmm. I've never been as mad as anyone on planet Earth as I have been <laughs> at my children. And I've never loved anybody like that either. And I've never yeah. been more delighted by a person's success and more wounded by any failure or rejection. Like it's it's an intense, one-of-a-kind relationship. Mm-hmm. And so... I say just let it rip. I just cry your eyes out. <laughs> you know, I actually, I don't think that, I sometimes I think of like units of emotion. Like there's just a, some number of units of emotion that you're going to have to work through in this transition. And so if you work through a thousand units a day or you work through five units a day, like the units will be dealt with. And so you can meter the emotion or you can let it rip. And I don't know. I sort of wonder if maybe by letting it rip that you come back up through the haze like a little more present and a little fuller. You know what I mean? Rather than like all this energy it takes to block things. Like why not just use the energy to feel the feelings instead of use the energy to block the feelings? Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's just like, uh, and, and I feel like it takes away from the celebration of them stepping out in the world. And... I want to be celebrating that with them, not be there, but just just go, way to go, you guys. You've worked so hard for this, you know? Yeah, yeah. I was very aware of that with Claire. I found for me, for whatever it's worth, that I would, I would well up, but I would try to make, I would try to make my message like positive, even through tears. It's just like, I just think you're really great and I'm really going to miss your company. And I just can't wait. And then quickly turn to like, I just can't wait for other people to experience you. Like you're, she's, and just trying to call out Mm. the things about her that are so special so that I could make it more, even though I was full of emotion, I could still pin it back to her and her big, bright future. Yeah. Hmm. I'm a big fan of and not or. Like there's two things happening here and and they're not taking away from one another. Mm I am excited that you're going to college, and I am sad that you won't live in this house. Yeah, yeah. It's funny, it reminds me of, my son is only 14, but I already dread him leaving. (laughs) Like, he went to sleepaway camp for two weeks, and I was like, just wandering around the house, disoriented and confused for the first (laughs) three days. It was ridiculous. Um, But I, I guess it reminds me a little bit of how I always feel this little reluctance before I apologize to my kid Mm -hmm. when I screw up Mm -hmm. and then I do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. But there's this feeling like maybe I'm giving him too much information. Like he does, does he really need to see how the sausage is made? (laughs) Right, right, right. But then you know what? It's like, what is the alternative? Right. And maybe that's the same question we should ask here. What will happen instead if we don't allow some of that to come out? Yeah. Well, the important point that you're making, Amanda, is that an alternative is not perfection. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's not happening. And you did, like you said, you let it rip. You let yourself cry after you closed the dorm room door. But you didn't do it in front of Claire. Oh, I did. Oh, you did? Oh, no, I did. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Oh, I was already That's with so this new insight. Cute. <laughs> that is so sweet of you. Oh, I bawled. Yeah. yeah, I bawled. So here's our first few takeaways. Remember that your emotions are not mutually exclusive, right? You can feel happy and sad at the same time, or one right after the other. That's totally possible. 
Allow yourself to feel those feelings as they come, good, bad, and ugly, because if you don't, they'll just come back to haunt you later. So sometimes it's okay to just let it rip, churn through those units of emotion. And even though the kids are out of the house, that doesn't mean you're done being a parent. I think there are rich and important days ahead. Mm-hmm. And I, mostly because I, that's my experience with my own mom. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting and maybe informative to think about parenting over the ages. You know, like people used to have kids basically to like work the farm. Mm-hmm. And, and then they had kids to like to be seen and not heard yeah. and, and, you know, to sit up straight and be presented to society. Yeah. And then when I was a kid, my mom just opened the door in the morning and then screamed out at 6 o'clock p.m. <laughs> for us to get home for frozen pizza on TV right? trays, you know, in front of Wheel of Fortune. And then we got into this different zone, you know, where where you either are a helicopter parent or you're living your every decision is vis-a-vis, am I a helicopter parent? Mm-hmm. Like everybody's aware mm-hmm. of that. And I know things about my kids that my mom did not know about me for mm-hmm. sure. But I do think because of the way my own relationship with my mom's evolved, she's become more important to me and interesting to me and valuable to me probably every year of my life. Hmm. Like, I don't think hmm. I thought about her at all when I was in college, and I think that's mm-hmm. part of the sting of mm-hmm. dropping your kid off, is mm-hmm. that if they're even remotely happy on campus, yeah. you are like the 99th yeah. thought in their head. <laughs> yes. And then, as happens for, you know, every woman everywhere, I had a baby, and I started thinking, oh, my God, did you do this for me? <laughs> were you up all night with me? Did you get mastitis for me? Like, were your nipples <laughs> bleeding for me? Like, oh, did I pee on you? Like, uh, every day, it was like every single thing that happened, I just couldn't help thinking, oh, my God, you ungrateful wretch. How? You are going to have to call her again. And then she would call, say, you know, I'd call her, and she'd pick up and be like, hello. <laughs> And I said, I just calling to say, I'm sorry. She's like, what are you sorry for today? I'm like, I'm sorry that I didn't get the diaper thing. The diaper thing is real, you know. And then, and then I do think that there's really rich points of connection still to come where there's a little less obligation on their side and a little more sincere curiosity in what you, what you think about something. Mm-hmm. Kelly, I was so struck. Kelly recently had Susan Orlean on her podcast. Mm -hmm. And and she had said, Susan said that after her son left home, she just felt like her life had no purpose. And it was so striking because she's like, (laughs) you know, she's like a, you know, staff writer for the New Yorker and multiple best-selling author. And it was like, (laughs) so it sort of doesn't matter, I guess, what else, you know, you can be like climbing Mount Everest and your kid leaves home and you're like, oh, I guess I have nowhere to go today. Um, I think I totally related to Susan Orlean who said, I, I, my life has no purpose and thinking like, wow, that's sort of a funny thing to say for a person who's fairly busy and, um, you know, occupied with what seems like fairly meaningful work. And it doesn't matter. It's not, it isn't, it does not rate with making people and hmm. growing citizens and fostering the kind of family connection that can keep people safe and supported for decades. Yeah. Like that, that, that is two different kind levels of work. And so in a way, it doesn't surprise me at all that any of us, um, think, oof, what am I supposed to do now? Yeah. 
So here's our next hard truth. It's okay to admit that raising a kid is just profoundly different than hobbies or work or really most things. Feeling a sense of loss when that kid grows up doesn't make you a loser, it makes you human. And as hard as it might be, your next parenting job is to give that kid some space. You know, the goal is to let them be where they are. And that means like none of the vanity texting, which is really more for you than for them. You know, the little hearts yeah. and the ha-has and the stuff that gives you a little burst of dopamine on your end is taking them away from where they are yeah. on their end. And that is like, I felt that was like torture because I can't get used to going from 24-7 FaceTime I to know, nothing. I know, right? And, and the first night that Sophie, um, the first night she was there, I just texted her, you know, do, just good night, and um, didn't hear back from her. And then didn't hear back from her and didn't hear back from her. I thought, okay. And I, I have never, and I swear, I've never done, I don't even know what the app is where you can see where your kid is. <laughs> For the first time ever, I thought, oh, I'm going to look and see. And, I, and she was like not in her dorm. The location was not where her dorm was. And I'm like, Okay, don't text her, don't text uh-huh. her, don't text uh-huh. her. And I didn't, uh-huh. you know, uh-huh. and I thought, well, good for you. It's funny, I, I texted Claire the first night and just said, good night, boo, and mm. nothing. And I was like, okay, here we go. And then she's at UVA, and they had sent out this, like, digital newsletter every day, and they had pictures from the first years who went to the football stadium to learn the UVA fight song from the marching band, And I found myself like zooming in on these photos that, you know, her class has 4,000 people. (laughs) Like as if I might be able to see her. Like, was she having fun? Did she wear like a UVA shirt? You know, like who was she standing next to? Like any, I mean, just starved for information. But I do, I do think that the acclimation for for me has been faster than I okay. would have Well, that's what I was going to ask. Yeah. Like, I'm like, all right, this is it. This is the new reality. Like, I'll yeah. talk to you in three yeah. or four days. You know, like we, we were trying to go a whole week and that that didn't work. But, you know, we went four days yeah. and I was like, God, hmm. you know, I'll never know what she had yeah. for breakfast. <laughs> like, I'll, I just used to know, you used to know yeah. everything. You knew who she was out with. You knew what time she got home. You knew what she was wearing. She, you could tell whether she yes. had a good time or not. Now you just yeah. know nothing. Nothing. (laughs) And that's as it should be. When we come back, we've saved the best news for last. It turns out the future might not be as bleak as you think. Don't leave us quite yet. If you enjoy How To, the best way to support the show is by joining Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Your contribution helps us produce the unique stories that you hear in our feed every week. It's only a dollar for your first month, and in addition to supporting our journalism, members never hear an ad on a Slate podcast and never hit a paywall on the Slate website. Slate Plus members are essential to keeping this show going, so I hope you'll join if you're able. To sign up now, go to slate.com slash plus. Again, that's slate.com slash howto plus. We're back with our listener, Susan, and author and interviewer extraordinaire, Kelly Corrigan. One of the more common assumptions about empty nesters is that life suddenly gets really boring without your kids around. But for Kelly, it took an unexpected vacation to realize that that's not necessarily the case. Both my girls were in camps 
and I was away from my husband for 4th of July. And I have this high school friend who has this awesome place in Lake Winnipesaukee, and he invited me up, and I was the only single person there. It was four families and me. And I had the time of my life. I mean, these are just the greatest people I know, and their kids are hilarious, and the water was heavenly, and we did the Camp Y Olympics, and, you know, it was just one good time after the next. And so the next summer, of course, I was like, we're all coming, you know, I'm bringing the family from California, which is no small feat to get from Oakland, California to New Hampshire. But we did it, and we got there. And when we were leaving, I thought, God, it wasn't as much fun this year, and I and I think it's because I was so hyper aware of Georgia, Claire, and Edward and whether they uh, were having a good time. Yeah. You know, I just, I just wasn't present the way you uh, are when you're floating around in the world by yourself. Yeah. I will say my own tiny, totally irrelevant example, after my first four days of wandering aimlessly around my house when my son was at sleepaway camp, I was like, oh my God, my life is so easy now. <laughs> I was like, I just have to worry about myself. Like my husband and I go out to dinner whenever we're done working. Like I don't feel like I have to make a real meal. I was like, this is crazy easy. Um, <laughs> There's be all kinds yeah. of energy that comes from that. There's an idea. Yeah, yeah. And where do you think that energy yeah. might go, Susan? Ah, I don't know. Well, I, I, I didn't do any spoken word until after I turned fifty. So that was a a new and exciting thing. And, 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 you know, I'll probably maybe do some more spoken word stuff. I just got a, a big writing contract. Um, so that will keep me very busy this year. Yeah, I, I do look forward to that sense of ease. And yeah, maybe we just don't, let's just have cereal for dinner. And, you know, let's sleep in for the first time. I don't have to get up and drive anyone to band practice at seven in the morning, mm. you know, so looking forward to more of that. Mm. So, yeah, and it's interesting that your writing is maybe picking up at the same time that this transition is happening. And I'm guessing that writing is one way that you process some of these things. Indeed, yes. You know, I talked to this friend of mine, Arielle. She's a therapist for teenagers. And she brought up this very cool idea about compassionate detachment. Hmm which she's sort of borrowing from Buddhism to say that, you know, there is this idea that we could be detached in a lovely way, like detached with hope. Like I, I'm, I'm still cheering and I'm still available, mm-hmm. but I don't have demands on you. You are not required and, and our paths have split and maybe the best is yet to come. I mean, or maybe something as good. Mm-hmm. So holding out the possibility that you just don't know, like you said earlier, you just don't know what comes next. Like at least we should believe it's possible that it could be awesome. Yeah. So it seems like one thing we can say is we need to reframe empty nesting as not pathetic. Right? Mm-hmm. Can we agree? Mm-hmm. Can we get a consensus? Yes, absolutely. 100%. <laughs> yes. You think there's a better phrase than empty nesting? Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, that's a good. That's a good point. Yeah, empty is too yeah. negative a word. Yeah, because it's hardly. It's empty. not empty. You're still in it. Yeah, my husband's still in it. Our three. <laughs> right. Our three-legged dog is still in it. <laughs> it's just decluttered. <laughs> yeah. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Here's our next takeaway. 
This is a huge opportunity to get back to doing those things you used to love to do, but you put on hold when you had kids. Like, I don't know, playing soccer, or going to see live music, or learning Spanish. It's time to revisit them, and you don't have to wait until your kids have moved out. Here's an interesting thing. I interviewed Atul Gawande, who wrote Being Mortal, which is like mandatory reading for all people. <laughs> yeah. And he reports on all this research that says that when you hit 60, that happiness across the board yes. increases. I awesome. I'm turning 60 next year. <laughs> I have my kids older. So I think that to to say that we know what's coming and that it's that we can see it all from here is is conceded. Like I think we should reduce our conviction and embrace some humility and say Life is a mystery to be lived. And for all I know, these are going to be the best 30 years of my life. Yeah, That's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I love that research. It's like, I, I, my husband and I bring it up like once a week. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a blanket yeah, that like, you well, wrap around your shoulders. But the research if says... We just get to yes. 60, God damn it. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> We're going to be happier than ever. The other thing I was going to say is that this super awesome person that I was so lucky to know named Bert Lubin, who ran our children's hospital in Oakland where I volunteered, uh, was dying of brain cancer. And his doctor recommended to him that he eat um, an all-plant diet, that he walk outside every day, and that the third thing on the prescription notepad was mm. novelty, underline, mm. underline. And I saw the note on his, you know, his fridge. And I said, novelty. And he said, novelty. She said, if you, if you walk, if you take, walk out your house and go to the left, every time you go for a walk, go to the right. If you see a shirt in your closet you haven't worn in 10 years, put it on. And so my husband and I say it to each other all the time. We're like, novelty. Let's go to a different restaurant. Okay. Novelty. Yeah. I love this advice. One of the challenges of the pandemic or any long-term routine is the lack of change. And there's a lot of research showing that if our brains don't get enough novelty, we do start to languish. So we really do need distraction, even and maybe especially when we're anticipating a big loss. Do you think there is a right way to prepare for this? You have this quote, there's a lot of heartbreak in parenting because basically if you're doing it right, you are forever saying goodbye. Yeah. 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 That's about the size of it. So then it's like ha measuring, balancing that, being present while they're still there and, you know, not lying to yourself about what's coming and the sadness. I mean, if you look back at the last year and there was a lot going on and not going on, but it, do you feel like you, you have any advice for anticipating the dread that, <laughs> that you're... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the one thing I would say is, you know, you... I wish that I had, I mean, if Claire were here, she would laugh so hard and so would Georgia. I wish that I had practiced like the houseplant parenting more, which is to say, be available, yeah. be present, be um, within their line of sight, but quiet and, and, and know that there is just this reassurance and looking over and seeing, oh, there's that plant still there. Yeah. It's always there. That, you know, that's going to be, yeah, that, that's going to be <laughs> challenging, but yeah, be the houseplant. What kind of houseplant mm -hmm. would yeah. you be? 
<laughs> I would be a big, huge one with very colorful flowers <laughs> that needed a lot of sunlight and watering and soil changing. How about you, Susan? Oh, I think I would be something that doesn't need much watering, but that would kind of crawl, like a creeping vine that would kind of crawl into all kinds of nooks and crannies. <laughs> Before you know it, it would take it over It would sneak the over room. and strangle your baby. <laughs> That's right. yeah. That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. <laughs> Thank you to Susan for sharing her anxieties with us and to Kelly Corrigan for all her useful advice. Make sure to check out her podcast, Kelly Corrigan Wonders, and the new season of her PBS show, Tell Me More, which starts October 5th. So what's your problem? Anything you want us to work on? Send us a note at howto at slate.com or leave us a voicemail at 646-495-4001. And we'll try to help. And if you like what you heard today, Please give us a rating and a review and definitely tell a friend. That helps us help more people. How To's executive producer is Derek John. Rosemary Belson produces the show. Our theme music is by Hannes Brown, remixed by Merritt Jacob, our technical director. Charles Duhigg created the show. I'm Amanda Ripley. Thanks for listening.